Mark Tate. Oh, there he is. I saw a picture of Mark when he was, oh, two or three years younger when you were with the, uh, the singing group. I saw that with uh, Joe Terrell. Well done. An accomplished singer. I'm glad you're using your talents and using them well. I do have a welcome to make to all of those who have come from great distances. We have some that have come as far as the river to the south. And by the South River, I don't mean South Boardman, I mean the Rio Grande down in Texas have come up to, and we have several others that have, are visiting. So we're glad that you are with us today. But I do have one more addition to our group today. Her title in the future will be known as great-granddaughter, granddaughter, daughter, sister, niece, Great niece and our wonderful friend, because Mark and Jesse Needhouse had a little girl yesterday, 8.38 last night, Avery Ann, 7 pounds, 12 ounces, and 20 and a half inches long. So congratulations to the entire family. We are just thrilled, thrilled, and I'm glad that her sister got to tell me that this morning. So, congratulations. Daniel chapter 3. Now imagine that you and I are standing on the plains of Dura. And we have seen this image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. We don't know what the image is. We can speculate all we want, but we don't know what it is. But it is an image that is clad in gold, and it is a very tall image. And the command is that at the sound of all of these instruments that are about to play, when you hear them, you are going to bow down. And that's the order. And the consequences of not bowing down to this golden image They call it the fiery furnace, but you and I recognize it as death, because no one will survive that fiery furnace. No one. That is your alternative. Bow down or the fiery furnace. We're not going to vote on that today. Because I know without a doubt that everyone here is going to say, we are not going to bow down. Because we're going to have that same reaction when Nebuchadnezzar says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you are not bowing down? It's, it's sort of like when your mother asks you a question. When she says, what did you say? It's not because she didn't hear you. It's not because she didn't understand what you said. She's giving you a chance to retract whatever it was that you said. Right, mothers? Right, kids? You know that. Nebuchadnezzar isn't asking that, is it true, because he thought maybe they misunderstood what he was commanding them to do. Is it true? But we look at what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose that day. 
and we think, oh, that is 2,500 years ago, give or take a few years. Why, that could never happen in our world today. Because after all, how many of us were raised of thinking that persecution was something that happened in China or Russia or the Middle East or somewhere in the world that is not called the United States of America? That's how we grew up. That's something that happens over there, but not here. Surely no one would ever ask us to bow down. But the command to bow came to them nonetheless. And the courage not to bow. And the cause for that courage of why they knew they should not bow down. Remember that they have themselves come out of Judea. They are now in the land of Babylon which would be roughly where Iraq is today. They've come all the way from Judea, which we know as, as, as Israel today, Palestine, as exiles, one of those exile groups that came out under Nebuchadnezzar, who was probably captain of the army at the time when they left. He's now king. They came out of idolatry. They looked all around them. That's the reason why Judah was cast into exile. If you read the end of 2 Chronicles, it said that they mocked the messengers until there was no more remedy. And I think that of all the words that I read in the, New Te the Old Testament, that is one of the saddest sayings that there is. Until there was no more remedy, as the English Standard Version says. God had done everything that he could to turn them from the idolatry to the living God, and yet they mocked him over and over. But these young men that we read about, we need, we need sort of a, a history of how did you come to this point when you were born into idolatry and as young men were dragged into exile? And in chapter 1, we read of how they were unwilling, along with Daniel, to succumb to the dietary restrictions that the eunuch was going to give them. They said, no, no, give us 10 days on our own diet. And when they came out, they found that they were smarter and wiser and in better shape than the rest of them. A little history. Normally I warn you that there's going to be a little history coming up. How did Nebuchadnezzar get to be where he was at? Well, we, we oftentimes think that it's just the chance, the happenstance, of history. But a further investigation reveals that it is all in God's good time. You and I are not here because of brave men. For sure, they were brave some 200 plus years ago and stood up to King George. But don't think for a minute that God was not in the midst of that. And don't think for a minute that it is going to be by our strength and might that this country will continue. It is still by the strength and might of God. We go back to 2 Kings chapter 18. And I'll try to briefly go through this. In 2 Kings chapter 18, Hezekiah is king of the southern kingdom. And Sennacherib is rolling over country after country. And he has taken this, the northern kingdom of Israel. 
and he has set his sights upon Jerusalem. And he mocks the living God. 2 Kings 18.31, beginning, Do not listen to Hezekiah. The Rabshakeh is standing at the wall, and he is going to frighten them. He's going to humiliate them. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree. And every one you drink, every one of you will drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take away the land that is your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, they have delivered Samaria from my hand. Who among all the gods of the lands has delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? This is the same Assyria. This is the same Nineveh that Jonah went to and says, but 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And you know what Nineveh did? From the king down to the common person, they repented. What happened to Assyria that they have now come to the point to where they are ready to be destroyed? For we read in 2 Kings chapter 19, where God says, I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times how, that I formed it? Now that I brought it to pass, that you should be for crushing fortified cities and heaps of ruins? God is saying, I brought you up. I made you, Assyria, to do my will. And my will in using you was to destroy the northern kingdom and its idolatry. God did that. And now we find that God has raised up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians as we know them. And I know this might be a little bit of history, but you're going to need this. This will be on the final exam, as I always say. In Habakkuk, Habakkuk has that question that many people ask. Habakkuk 1, verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. See, Habakkuk's not only talking about Judea. He's talking about the Babylonian army, the Chaldeans that are about to attack them. But God assures him that he is the one that brought them up. For we find in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verses 2 through 5, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Write this, because everybody's going to want to read this. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but he shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking about the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar. And why did he raise up Nebuchadnezzar? To do his will in destroying Assyria and then taking the southern kingdom into captivity. 
But Nebuchadnezzar became proud. And we read about Nebuchadnezzar in the first, second, third chapters. And here we find him in the third chapter. That even though Nebuchadnezzar was brought up to do the Lord's will in taking Judea into exile, he's become proud. And now he has raised up an image and he commands everyone that they should bow down to this image. And if you will, you and I are in that crowd. And we're ready to take that command. And we have chosen not to bow down to that golden image. And Nebuchadnezzar looks right in your eye and said, Is it true, Matthew, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready when you hear the sound, perhaps you misunderstood, Mr. French, what my order was. And at this point, I must answer. And I must answer and say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that you meant when you began to play the music. I thought it was going to be later in the program. Of course I'm going to bow down. No. Nope. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, dropping down to verse 16, answered and said to king, O Nebuchadnezzar, very respectful. There's no reason to be disrespectful to people in our world today. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And it's at this point that Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, okay, I'm I'm sorry. If that's your pleasure, that's okay. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No. Nebuchadnezzar is so angry that he heats up that furnace several times what it normally would be. In fact, it's so hot that those who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in were themselves burned up. That is the price that they paid. That was the price that they paid. You see, that's the choice we will pay, perhaps. Should we choose to stand up and say, no, we will not bow down to you fill in the blanks. You see, it's not always going to be the golden image that we are asked to worship. But it is anything that takes the place of God Almighty in the Old Testament known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For you and I, he's known as the Father today. We will not bow down and worship to any. The choice to stand against it can lead to fiery trials. In fact, it's almost assured that it will lead to fiery trials. Why has God chosen to leave this chapter in so that we have it as evidence? Paul says and writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. 
That alone tells us that this was written and kept for our reason. It was kept by the Holy Spirit. It was delivered by the Holy Spirit. They wrote it because the Holy Spirit commanded them to. But read from some of the writers of the New Testament that tell about the suffering that they will endure. I'll read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7. Though in every chapter, if you'd like to read 1 Peter, every chapter, Peter reminds them of the suffering that they are to endure. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go all the way down to the last chapter. We know these as chapters, but Peter wrote simply a letter. But chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You see, in the first century, everyone around the world in Christendom were suffering. He says, these things that you're enduring, they are enduring as well. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our... And listen to how Paul describes this in the English Standard Version. For our light affliction. Our light affliction. He's not humoring us. He's not putting us down saying... I'm really suffering, but you're only suffering light. He's including himself in there. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, I don't know about you, but those things don't seem to be for, for a moment, and they don't seem to be light when persecuted. Which for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Sounds rather what you said, doesn't it, Mark? The things unseen. You see, the choice to stand can lead to fiery trials. But also the choice to stand may lead to greater heights. It certainly can. In Acts chapter 27, verses 23 through 25, we find that Paul is indeed suffering for his faith, and he is being transported from the Middle East, as we know it, to Rome for trial. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe that God will do just as he has told me. Paul's appointment with destiny was to speak before kings. That's really what Saul, as he was known then, was told in Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said to me, Go, speaking to Ananias, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer 
for my name's sake. You see, Saul of Tarsus, later to become Paul, knew that his destiny was to suffer. Read what he writes in several places about what he suffered for the cross. But then listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Which is far better. Paul didn't say, it's time, I've had enough. I've had enough of this suffering. Take me now. I just No, he realizes that if he is going to stay on earth, it is going to be for the benefit of the church. But if it's time for him to go, he is ready to go. And in your choice to stand, you will not be alone. As we continue on down in Daniel chapter 3, as the Nebuchadnezzar looks, Then Nebuchadnezzar, beginning verse 26, came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. For he had previously said, did I not cast three in there? But there is four, and the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, they weren't alone in that fiery furnace. And you and I will never be alone in our trials as well. In Revelation chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11 in the great persecution in the first century, John sees in a vision. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw unto the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. In that persecution of Rome, he says, wait, wait. We may wonder at the persecution that we will endure, and we certainly will endure. How long will it be? But in God's own time, he will take care of things. And our final verse today comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. The writer says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the same attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had there as they stood before the ruler of the world physically, but they knew who really ruled the world, yes, the universe. It was God Almighty. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to answer you. We don't need to delay in this answer. We don't have to think about it. And I wonder for you and I today, if the first words out of our mouth is, oh, you fill in the blank. I don't need to pause because I am ready to suffer. Or I believe there's a song that we sing that says, this world is not my home. In my citizenship, though my driver's license and my birth certificate and my social security 
card may say that I am of this country. My citizenship is in heaven. The lesson is yours. And I hope that it has been a lesson of encouragement to realize that in persecution, those things that we have read, not only about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, about Daniel, about Jeremiah, about Ezekiel, about those prophets, about the apostles and disciples of the first century that suffered and died for their faith. are there showing us the way. We have the assurance that if we suffer through those fiery trials, that we are not alone. What shall we fear? If God be for us, who can be against us? If you are not a child of God today, you do not have that assurance. But you can this very day be a child of God. By faith, believing that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins. And if you are ready through that faith to understand that God has commands for us. He has shown us the way that through faith we can repent of our old life. Confess that he is Lord of our life and no one else. And reenacting his death, burial, and resurrection in the watery grave of baptism. We can die to the old life, be raised to newness of life. We too can walk. And we can have that assurance that he will walk with us no matter what we walk through. If you have a need today, make it known as together we stand and sing. Must I go?